1: This needs to be updated it, it it totally sucks you should tell the developer yeah here's the phone number and here's his home address right tell right him, go, knock walk mm-hmm. walk over mm-hmm. knock on his door and tell him to update his app right <laughs> <laughs> we've helpfully opened up a facetime call with him so you can berate him right now <laughs>
2: while he's in the
0: shower <laughs>
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 129 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitra and I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hello. So we have some follow-up here on Apple's, uh, basically the the report is that Apple's, had a fabulous quarter in the last quarter of the year. Well, it's actually the first quarter for them, but the last quarter of the year for those of us who follow the calendar of the year, and mostly, mostly on the backs of uh, iPhone sales at one at seventy-eight million units, and uh, they beat the projections and they beat their sales over the last three quarters, I believe, right?
2: Yeah, and you expect that because of seasonality, but the real important one is that it beat Q1 of last year. Right. Uh, and in fact, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's it was a record quarter. It's the highest ever number of iPhone units ever sold by
1: Apple. And that would be on the backs of the iPhone 7, right? Mm-hmm. Because 7 all, and 7 Plus. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much new that model this year, right? Yeah, but I think it's really
0: important because of how much hand-wringing there was. Because I remember this is like SE or the S model Season 2 Kind of thing, right? Where it's like it's the same form factor essentially. They they removed the the beloved three point five millimeter headphone jack, and right, so right. kind of the the narrative, you know, popularly was like, oh well, they're they're doomed, right? How could it possibly do well? And and they did better than they ever have before. Yep. I mean, it, I think it means that you take a lot of the analysis with like a grain of salt, right? And let's let's just see the numbers as they happen. These are wonderful devices. I think Apple itself was probably kind of surprised by the extreme popularity of the Plus model this go-around uh, compared to the previous times that they've had them available. Mm-hmm. They rapidly went out of stock, and the average selling price for the iPhone went up. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, but it went up, which means that it's some sort of mix of people buying higher-capacity higher, um,
1: higher capacity models and or buying the Plus models. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the plus was the huge thing about the plus, or the huge plus about the plus was the, the the fancy camera, right? So I think that's what a lot of people bought it for. Although I have heard people say that it, it is still too big.
0: Yeah. I, but, you know, I kind of wonder if if you end up sort of taking iPhone plus models as sort of the ones stealing away from iPad, right? Because the, the story wasn't so good for yes, iPad yeah. that it was yeah. down and, and, and Mac was up. It, it does kind of feel like The iPad is getting kind of stuck as a tweener, and and Mm -hmm. we'll see how the the refresh cycle for this works. It looks like it's much closer to being more like a laptop rather than it being, you know, like the phone that you know people buy every year, every two years, maybe three years. These iPads, people just they're driving them into the ground, right? They they last long enough that as long as it's still working, you're still using it, apparently. Uh, And I think, yeah, and I think it does get stuck in between where if, if if you had a choice of. Like, you know, I've got limited money, um, but you have to have a phone, right? And uh, depending on what you do, you probably need a laptop as well. Um, if you do anything that, you know, like if you're a developer, let's say, or you're the kind of person that's doing a ton of audio mixing or a lot of video editing, you know, that's a lot easier to do on a laptop. So the, the iPad kind of gets stuck in the middle of like, you know, laptops have gotten much, much smaller, more portable and phones have gotten way way bigger than they were years ago so you can kind of get away with like well my my ipad quote unquote is my seven plus right like i am I'm, yeah, I'm fine yeah. sitting watching netflix and browsing the internet you know on my on my phone is what i think a lot of people are, are doing
2: mm-hmm. certainly as opposed to a mac i mean sorry an ipad mini right the 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 mm-hmm the reason for uh, of raison d'etre for the iPad mini is, is kind of in question now i think with the with the pluses why why do you need that small of a iPad if you can just have a a, a phone that's almost as big
1: yeah, it's interesting looking at this chart too. Like if you the the little blue line that sort of feebly just crawls along between, you know, four and five thousand units, that's the the Mac. It's just like it's almost like the line across the bottom and then you know the uh the iPad kinda spikes up in the middle and then kinda just trails off and, and it's going down and but yet the iPhone is like killing it, right? In terms yeah. of number of units, right? So
2: Yeah. I, I can think of another this is pure speculation, but I can think of another couple of reasons why uh the numbers were so good this time. Uh, one of which is, remember last year at this time, the numbers were actually pretty bad and everyone was predicting you know the doom and gloom. But, but if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that the first holiday season where there were no more subsidies from the carriers? So all of a sudden, instead of the mm. phone, to get a, the cost of a new phone, instead of it being a couple hundred bucks... It was now six hundred bucks or whatever, even though it's spread out over over a year or or a while. So so maybe a lot of people were holding off on buying new phones last year, and now it's just been you know another year of of age for their phones. So so they they kind of had to pull the trigger. That's one That's one possibility. Um, again, pure speculation.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point because, like, in Canada, we went from having three-year contracts down to two-year contracts, and then, you know, all of a sudden, the, the price of getting an upgrade of a phone, you know, doubled almost. And so what happened in the States? You guys don't have subsidized phones from the carriers, like Verizon and AT&T and that kind of stuff? That's right. Yeah, they did away with that last year. Yeah, and I think right, Mark so-
0: might have something there in that the the sticker shock was sort of immediate and the cultural yeah. shock right because we got used yep. to oh you, you you know you get the free phone or this iPhone is like 200 dollars more oh yeah heck yeah why don't i get an iPhone for only 200 more Right, you're yeah. really paying for it but now it's much more explicit where is it like 400 it. now or whatever or? no i mean it's, or it's, it's it's you buy it
1: right it's it, 650 it on,
2: yeah if you want a lot of memory it's it's more like 600 650
0: yeah yeah you buy it out right or uh, you know you are explicitly putting it on one of those payment plans and and, uh-huh. and so it it kinda ends up being the same when it's all said and done, but now it's much more, you know, upfront in user's face. And so now they're like they were were reconsidering hypothetically and, and now they're like, Oh, whatever, that's just the way life is and everything readjusts.
1: And mm-hmm. sure. hey Mark, what was your second point? Sorry about that. The
2: second one is that Samsung has had a lot of trouble in the past oh. year. <laughs> <laughs> really? What so, you tell me about that. Yeah, you know, there, there's you know that little matter of the phones, the batteries blowing up. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So maybe in in people's minds, Samsung became a less attractive option at this point, and they know that the iPhone is solid and reliable, and and uh, and so so it was. It was worth switching back. We see that in the market share numbers, right? We've, we we talked about that last week and there was a couple more numbers that came out this week that in a lot of places, especially the U.S., the Apple market share is, has pulled ahead of Samsung and Android in general, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that could be a big part of it as well. It's hard to yeah. tell which is cause and which is effect in that case, but but they're certainly correlated. Right.
0: Huh. Yeah, and I, I can see that being a reasonable one. Like I don't think that sort of I don't know. The set of issues that Samsung have would be, you know, like huge move the needle, but you look at the needle and it, it moved, but not massively. Right. Right. Um, so it might be, like what is this, like five ish million units? I could see that, you know, peanut buttered throughout the entire world. Uh, I could see that being the, the impact. It doesn't seem unreasonable.
1: Mm-hmm. But it is kind of a sawtooth chart here in like the iPhone sales or the number of units sold, right? Because, I mean, it, I think last year we were probably on one of the down. Downward trends right and then and it spiked back up and now it's it sort of seems to have recovered it you know re- just short of eighty thousand units right, so that must be like you know, I, this is hard to sort of read, but uh yeah look like,
0: look at look at every um q four right so you 'll see the right. crazy spike when the plus models and the six model came right. out uh, just an enormous change between year over year, and then not so much the you know two thousand fifteen and then two thousand sixteen is more uh but not the insane spike that you saw
1: going into 2014. Yeah, but Q2 of 2016, it was quite low. So that I think that's kind of sort of where we were talking about, the fact that Apple was doomed, or maybe it was last year at this time, or just before this time, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it was last year at this time, because everyone expects that uh, that the off quarters, the, the non-new you know, uh, new phone and holiday quarters are going to be lower. And the further away that you, from those that you get, the, the lower they're right. likely to be. Right. Uh, but so it's the it's really if there's kind of two things that you can look at i guess it's the it's the overall trend line drawn as an average through that green curve there for those of you at home you can check the notes uh and but the other thing to notice is is the height of the peaks and it was the the height of the peaks dropping that was what had everybody worried
1: right right yeah
0: but that seems to have reversed
2: so that's that's good news at least for now
0: so not on this particular chart but um the discussion around services which is doing really well and i think crossed mac for the first time i saw on a different yes chart that was interesting yeah and the watch is doing really well uh coming into its category like you put all these things together as developers and i think my takeaway is iphone is still doing great so if you're doing you know iphone based development that's that's good and i I think if the mix starts to change where you start having more and more of these plus models, I think we might have to start considering doing some more interesting things for that, right? Like Mm -hmm. at a minimum, Mm -hmm. the split view type stuff that you would get. um, Like when you rotate, what is it like messages in the calendar app on your, your plus model, Mm -hmm. right. And and get that double view. Um, Mac is still, still valuable. Um, It's neither greatly nor, you know, plus or minus either way, but continuing to trend up. So, There's that Apple TV, on the other hand, I really worry about, (laughs) I mean, that's an interesting one because I feel like that falls into the same sort of category that the watch does. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, granted, I don't have an Apple TV, but I do have an Apple watch. And I think that neither one was sort of like the next big thing, right? Like Apple TV doesn't seem like the next big thing for, you know, TV as a platform yeah. Nor does the Apple watch seem like the next big thing um, for wearables. They're doing really well in their own categories. And in many respects, it's kind of like, well, there's Apple and then there's like two other competitors, but they're not, they're not huge. It, let's just say it up front. Like it's not reasonable to compare them to my iPhone because almost nothing else in the history of humankind has, has reached iPhone type pinnacles. Right. Um. But they're not even like iPad level. Right. And we've been no. talking about how iPad is kind of on a downward trend.
1: But it's still doing better than the Mac. But I was going to say, too, that these these smart TVs, of which I just got one for Black Friday, last, last Black Friday... I mean, that's a compelling thing. Like, I'm watching Netflix on, as an app on the TV, and I've got my Apple TV right beside it, you know, as one of the choices. But it's much more convenient just to go right to Netflix or right to YouTube than it is to, to fire up the Apple TV and go through that yeah. crazy menu they have, right?
2: Yeah, I've got the same thing with my set-top box that comes from Comcast. From it, it has Amazon built right in, essentially. Not, I'm sorry, not Amazon. Netflix built right It does not have Amazon video, but it does have Netflix right. video built right in. Right and uh, and like you said, it's just way easier. Same remote control that I'm already using for watching cable, just to switch over to to Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's way easier than than firing up the Apple TV. Unfortunately,
1: yeah, but that said, I mean the, the Apple TV having it hooked up to the the, the thing is like my remote actually works up with my Apple TV, is which which is kind of cool too. So like I can actually navigate through some of the menus and stuff like that on the Apple TV. I mean, mm, okay, but that's yeah. a, so
0: that's let's take a little bit of discussion. So that's. The kind of thing that you're talking about as uh, consumers of media is what I'm what I'm hearing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yes. 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 It And I think what nobody's really talking about much anymore is like the app platform for TV. And to be honest, it feels like it's the same thing for Apple Watch, too, where I don't think there's much of an app platform there where what you get out of the box is more or less enough. Like, yeah, does I, feel I different? I'm not saying there's not niche niche products in, uh, in niche apps in, in each of those that'd be super valuable, but I'm I'm not seeing these things you know catching the world on fire. Nobody's throwing around right. you know crazy money for them or, or hiring you know, tons of people to do uh, no. work on them.
2: Right, right, yeah. There hasn't been a killer app for for Apple TV yet, as, as far as I know. I mean, the killer app was kind of is kind of you know Netflix, right? But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. available in a lot of other places. So so it's not really that compelling.
1: Yeah, and as, as I said before, the, the watch and the TV, in both of those discussions, we haven't found what this thing is for yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, it took a while. Like, I, like even like I said before, like the iPod, when the iPod first came out, I kind of went, yeah, music, so what, right? You know, there's other ways to consume music. But then the iPod morphed into the iPhone, and look where we are today, right? So um, I sort of see the watch and the TV, if they survive, are going to morph into something, something bigger than what they are now, because there's nothing really, you know, making us... Other than, you know, like Mark doesn't have a watch because I can't tell, I can't, I can't think of a single reason why I would tell Mark to go buy a watch other yeah. than, yep. hey, you get notifications and you can tell the time, hey, you know, yep. oh, I can unlock my door now because I've got that, uh, that app for my, uh, that device on my door that I can use for HomeKit, right? But other than that, like, meh.
2: Yeah. And and going back to the Apple TV, I mean, the, the real reason for it was to be able to cut the cord, right, cut the cable. Right, and right. and it just hasn't worked because of all the the content deals that that uh, that Apple couldn't quite pull off. Uh, if if they had if they had been able to come up with some kind of package, and they're you know they're they're still t- still talking about a web streaming kind of thing, but but if they'd come up with something where you could get a couple of hundred channels, you know for for whatever a hundred bucks a month, whatever whatever you pay cable, uh, and and uh, and just drop your cable company, then it might have been. A viable thing but but you just can't you can't get all the stations you want
1: right right yeah and netflix is eating their lunch as far as movies and stuff like that goes by the way i heard today i don't know if you saw this but um i saw a link today go by saying that apple may be getting rid of airplay have you guys seen that uh, i haven't seen that no i didn't see that link Do yeah you have I'll, that? I'll put a, i'll find the link and put it in the show i just uh, on my phone this morning when i was on the way to work but uh hmm. i just sort of said hmm like was, was running
2: any, any reason given
1: because it it
2: seems like Why would they, seems like the kind of thing that why would they get rid of that?
1: You know, it's just well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like AirPlay is, you know, it's it's handy for, you know, showing video from your, your TV onto your big TV, like if you want to share photos with the family or mm-hmm. or if you have a movie on your phone that you want to, you know, watch in, on the big screen. I mean, I use AirPlay occasionally, but, um, you know, I, I probably use, like now that I, like I said, again, coming back to the having an Apple TV hooked up to my TV and having Netflix built into it, I really don't sort of have a compelling reason to use it, right? So not yeah. as much as I would yeah. like last year or the year before, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That said, I have an app that we we you know it's a streaming app for George's radio show that that we use AirPlay on that one, and we put it in specifically so people could listen on their stereos, right?
0: So I'm curious on how this you know this link actually talks about it because I could see a way it's presented that makes sense. So if by Apple Play sorry AirPlay going away, what they really mean is you know it's no longer a one off solution that only Apple is allowed to play in. No no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. And we move towards something that's more standards-based. Um, there really isn't really a good one because Google's Cast is, is similar, but still proprietary. Uh, Miracast is kind of in the same boat. But if you just sort of think of it as like, we need a protocol that is just like, like Wi-Fi, right? It's not like, oh no, I bought the wrong router. It doesn't work with my Android phone. It's like, no, of course it works for your Android phone. It's, a, it's, a, it's an open protocol. Like everybody can, can get into the game. Uh, that sort of thing is still useful, I think, for televisions particularly and whatever sort of device where you say hey you like i i want to stream onto this um jbl speaker i want to stream whatever device i have in front of me whether it's my macbook right, right. it's my yeah, right my iphone my ipad my you know whatever android device i might have just stream it to like here i want to show this youtube video i want to show uh what i'm currently looking at on my phone like that that's very very useful sure. so hopefully that's that's what they're talking about there that like airplay being sort of deprecated as a You know, a one-off private sort of standard, Mm. and being moved Mm -hmm. towards an open standard of some sort.
1: And now I got to find out where the hell I read that. (laughs) Uh. Or or maybe they're thinking that now content is just
2: becoming so ubiquitous that you know stuff is available on every device now. The same, your your stuff isn't just on your iPhone anymore, and it's not just on your on your
0: uh, TV anymore. It's everything's available everywhere, so there's kind of no Mm -hmm. reason for it anymore. So I think maybe the last thing uh, regarding these these charts, my, my takeaway for developers going forward is focusing on the iPhone and focusing on uh, Mac, if that's your sort of thing. Like, I wouldn't say get into Mac if you're not sure the Mac already. And then really, really start focusing on the services play and, and getting more integrated with, with that. Because I think as Apple continues to grow that that becomes more of a, an opportunity for
1: developers. Right. Right. Just a quick aside. Has Google changed their format? For every link I've, format? Every link I'm looking at is like a little box with something in it. Have I done something in my Google? Every every time I do a search, it gives me like everything's in a box. It looks, they all look like paid uh, links as opposed to just having a big old page of links. Weird, eh?
2: Uh, I just typed in airplay into Google and I get same standard. There's one box at the top. Mm-hmm. With the sort of the you know the definition right, uh, but they've done that for a while, right, with this sort of one favorite result at the top, and then everything else is just the standard links,
1: yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on? my whole it's I been like know. this the last couple of times days, days I looked hmm. weird. you might also be in an a b test of some sort
0: where they're trying yeah, to see if you're is. more engaged or if you're finding the right content,
1: yes, I, Google, I'm not enjoying this, make it stop. <laughs> 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 I hope you're listening. <laughs> All right. Um, So another follow-up story I had on here was about the Touch Bar, and I thought it was interesting uh, that uh, some schools are talking about, some exam soft is the name of this uh, school or testing place, um, banning the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar from people being able to use exams, uh, especially for taking the bar exam because because of the predictive text. I talked about this last week. I didn't have the right terminology for it, but uh, as you're typing... um, you know the predictive text helps you type things out, right? Like it, like on the phone when you have the the you know little extra um, uh, what do you call it uh, view above the the keyboard that sort of suggests words as you're typing to sort of save you time. But uh, you can do the same thing. In fact, you can write entire sentences or paragraphs using just just the words that come up on the predictive te- text. But it's funny that did you see you guys read this this piece about uh, them getting rid of it.
2: I did. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting. I, I I didn't really get a feel for why. Specifically, the bar exam would would uh, would ban it. Do you, do you know?
1: It said here something about um, it could facilitate people cheating mm-hmm. right? taking taking the bar exam. Um, I guess you could pre-program stuff into the bar or something and have it because you're probably writing. Well, it says it will, it will show predictive text depending on what the student is typing. Like you know, if you're if you're working on a terminology or something, as you start to type things, it kind of suggests words that go with what you're typing. You know? Yeah, sure. So maybe they may be exposing you know answers like, "What is MVP stand for?" Well, it's mo- you know, it's massive view controller, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like might it might suggest that for you, right? My MVP joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm. <laughs> I don't know enough about what the bar exam sort of entails
0: from a computer standpoint like i'm actually kind of surprised that they let you use a laptop at all i just assume they do <laughs> you know on some like green screen terminal where you, you can't really do much um i'm thinking way back so the last time i took a standardized test where they had this sort of restriction i think the hotness was the texas instruments the ti86 was like the highest model of graphing calculator they allowed on the test Right. Um, specifically because the next model version up at the time was the TI-92, which was basically a little mini computer mm-hmm. um, for its time. And I was like, oh, no, because it can add in, like, all of these crazy programs that it becomes much easier to cheat. I assume this is the 2017 version of that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But, uh, again, if, if anybody out there has taken the bar exam, I can follow up with a hashtag askmtjcs to what specifically <laughs> is allowed and not allowed and what this is running a file like I'd love to learn more Yeah, I, well, find it quite well, nice.
2: I, I assume for the bar uh, having, I haven't taken it of course but but I assume that it's a lot of writing you know you'll read sort of a case study or something and you'll have to write an interpretation of it I don't know maybe you could pre-program in certain I, I don't know actually I, I really don't know I don't know uh, how much value you could get out of, out of just a touch bar for something like that I have no idea
1: but it's funny, you mentioned that, to think about the calculator Jaime. When me. I, when I was a kid in school, we weren't allowed to use calculators in math class at all. And then my sister was one of the first classes where she had to go and buy a scientific calculator. But I'm pretty sure for a long time we weren't allowed to use uh, calculators in um in, in in class at all, but and then flash forward. Last the last Apple certification test I took, I actually ran on my own laptop. I logged into an Apple website, and and uh, basically it was a um, I couldn't do anything else. Like I couldn't switch out of the the, the window. Um, I'm pretty sure it was browser based but uh, or something like that, but you know it just basically flashed the questions on me it was multiple multiple choice and and uh, like that but I did it on my own computer I didn't previously in, in other tests I had done before you you used uh, you went to a place where they gave you the test right mm-hmm. I just thought it was an interesting story about the fact that the touch bar is now the uh, the calculator of the 2017 <laughs> it's too 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 useful too helpful banned yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah exactly. Oh you know it'll give them the answers, you know. By the way, I, I do have one one of my pet peeves about the uh the touch bar or about the touch bar. Yeah, is that when I'm in the mail app and I'm typing and I'm a pretty sloppy typer, like I'm not a touch typer, right? So my hands aren't always in the home row. But right right, right between the 1 and the 2, the the key right above that or the or the the virtual key right above that is send. Right. So a lot of times I'll be typing an email and all of a sudden it'll send oh. in the middle, it'll admit of composing an email. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, that's not I'm, good. You send a follow-up email going, please, you know, please ignore that. I wasn't finished typing yet. Is that configurable? Can you move it? Uh, well, it, 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 I think some of the, some apps there are configurable, some not. Like for instance, uh, I don't use Siri on my, uh, on my, my MacBook at, at the office because it's like a church there. Mm-hmm. And um, the top where where the eject button would be on a standard keyboard is where the Siri button is, right? So, where actually it gets the power button. Oh, yeah, Siri. Yeah, power button on the um, on the other Macs. But um, so, yeah, a lot of times when I'm reaching for the delete key, I hit the Siri key by mistake. And it's like, oh, did you want to enable Siri? No, thank you very much. You know, things to watch out for. So, Mark, you have a follow up story here about 32 uh, bit apps. I thought they already didn't work.
2: So, yeah, so as we know, a uh, couple of years ago, or, or maybe it was only. Well, yeah, it was a couple of years ago, Apple started requiring that that new submissions uh, be compiled for 64 bits, right, and, right. and at some point they stopped taking 32 bit executables completely. But uh, but if you had a 32 bit application on the store, people could still download it and use it, no problem. Although with iOS 10, they started adding a an alert view that would pop up that would right, say yeah. that this this app can slow down your your phone. And you know, the developer needs to update that. Which you know, I'm not sure that that was really true. That it was slowing down the phone, but whatever. It was it was there to to let people know that this you know this needed to be to be updated. Uh, well, apparently in the beta of 10.3, they've changed the messaging to be a little bit more harsh, saying that rather than it slowing down the device, it says that this app will not work with future versions of iOS. The developer of this app needs to update it to improve its compatibility. So it doesn't say when that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I think the soonest it could happen is with 10.3, but but uh, but it may not happen with 10.3. But at some point, it looks like 32-bit apps in the store are just going to stop working on, on new phones. If you have any of those out there, and I know I do, I've got a few old ones that I haven't updated in a while, uh, it's, it's it probably pays to revisit those and, and update them as soon as you can, just in case.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I updated Key Squad last fall was, I I've, don't know what I was doing, but I might have been running a, uh, a version of it. But I, I saw one of these earlier messages come up like this, and I thought, that's the last thing I want my customers to see, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I, I went through the process of, of figuring out how to, it was a Cocos 2D app, so I had to figure oh. out how to get that to 64-bit, 60, 60 right? hmm mm-hmm. But yeah, so I've basically been going through all of the apps that I want to keep on the store and and, and updating them, simply because, also because... There were bits falling off, right? So, <laughs>
2: yep, yep. For me, the the reason I haven't updated some of my old ones is that a lot of them use XIB files, and and uh, mm-hmm. and to in order to get them to to work with all the new sized devices, it's it's quite a bit of work to convert them all the storyboards and put in all the auto layout to make them to make them all uh, you know self sizing correctly resizing. So, some of them I haven't. I have to admit, I haven't updated, but uh, I guess I need to get on that soon mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. but you can't make a xib file um a base size classes i guess not a eh? no no
2: that's storyboard's storyboard as far as i know, as oh, as I know. Yeah. if
1: you want to do it visually that's that's correct
0: you can do yes stuff that's right programmatically that's right. but that's sure it kind of defeats the purpose of having the nib to begin with right yeah right yeah yeah Yep. Yeah. yeah so i think it's going to be sort of an interesting sort of return on investment based decision for a lot of yeah uh, developers yep um and maybe someone would just be more like pointed pride of like oh no that was my portfolio app i want to make sure that i i update it because i haven't in a while you know that sort of thing um mm-hmm, i think it's mm-hmm. gen- generally going to be good for users not saying there's going to be people who aren't caught with like oh no like i i love this app and it's not being updated i think from that standpoint you kind of have to hang on to an old device like that's like that's the only reasonable option right And and let's be honest mm. like as the stats that we just talked about are showing us, like you should be hanging on to an iPad, and clearly you are. So <laughs> if there's an app that you love. <laughs> make sure it's installed on that iPad that you're not updating, anyways, and yeah, uh, yeah. and continue on because, uh, it, in other senses, like this is generally good for users because this will make iOS itself more efficient. Right? It's not going to have to hang on to this right. 32-bit compatibility mode. Um, yeah, it's quite aggressive. Like this is the fastest transition than any company has has gone through it it took microsoft like a decade and i think they're still not quite done in their 64-bit really
1: wow yeah yeah well they've been doing this on the mac for a long time i mean like uh, various versions of os um mac os you get the you get the little do not enter sign through the older apps right they just all of a sudden they just won't work and i i Hmm. assume that was because they were they were not 64-bit right is that not the case like you know, as you, I think go there is a case like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but they didn't. There was no warning about it. They just you just can't use this app, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The on user the other- side didn't have the the developer
0: shaming that that happens here, right? Or on <laughs> iOS, it's like this needs to be updated. it it,
1: it totally sucks. You should tell the developer. Yeah, here's the phone number and here's his home address, right? Tell right. Him, go Knock, walk, mm-hmm. walk over, mm-hmm. knock on his door, and tell him to update his app, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've helpfully opened up a FaceTime call with him, so you can berate him right now <laughs> while he's in the shower <laughs> or while <Man>. he's asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know where he lives. All right. <laughs> so,
2: so you know, I wonder what effect on on total number of apps in the App Store this will have, because you know, clearly Apple is trying. To, to reduce the number of old abandoned apps uh, and and thereby streamline and clear up the, the app store a little bit. So I, I wonder actually when, and probably the only Apple knows this, when peak app submission was. I, I think we're past that point, right? To the, the point where the 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 most number of apps like per week were being submitted to the iOS App Store. Do, do, you, do you agree that it, it kind of feels like we're past that point now? There was a time when when well, there was a time when iOS was really, really hot and everybody was making an app, right? Uh and and I'm not sh- and I think we're kind of past that point now. I think fewer people are just making, you know, apps for the sake of making an app. So so there may have been the most number of apps may have been submitted and put into the store a couple of years ago. When whenever that was, I don't know, but a couple of years ago. So so there may be a lot of these old 32-bit apps hanging around from that time frame that have just never been updated because, you know, it was someone who thought they were going to make millions with their app, put it out in the store, and, you know, it didn't happen, yeah. so they went away. So if they clear out a whole lot of those, it might clear out the total number of apps by quite a bit. I wonder about it's that. That's
1: true, that's true. Yeah, I mean you had that whole flappy flappy period, right? Where everything was flappy this and flappy that and right, right. they all tried to capitalize mm-hmm. on this one guy's one guy's luck, right? So yeah, that's yeah, true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, as a sort of, my next sort of follow up is just to, just to sort of recap on what I talked about last week about, um, trying out to ad mob with, uh, with my app. And I think I told Jaime last week that it was super simple and it was so simple that I, I didn't get the ad unit in there correctly. So I had to go back in, <laughs> had to go back in and, and, uh, and re, uh, resubmit the app a couple of times actually because I, because I still, even after the second time, I still had it, didn't have it quite right. And, um, the funny thing is that it took like, Less than six hours to get the app through the app store and ready for sale.
2: Yeah, it's gotten real fast.
1: Yeah, so, you yeah. know, and it was like, you know, and the review process took like 20 minutes. Mind you, it is a small app and there's not much going on in it, right? But it, it was faster for me to submit the app than it was for me to set it up and have a beta te- an external beta tester. Like I was still waiting for the beta tester review part to go through before it was ready for sale in the app store. So, mm. But but what I wanted to talk about was that, that, so since I had the chance to go back in and, and take this for a spin, and this is following up on Sean's question last week, um, I took the time to go in. And, and look at Firebase Analytics. I mean, what, why not, right? Um, since I had to add the Firebase core into into the um, app to use AdMob, I figured, well, why not just turn on Analytics as well? So, um, and my report on that is kind of it's kind of strange because um, you know, yeah, there's like a handful of uh, reports. I mean, it's not a, not a huge app, and I don't expect to have tons of downloads. But it's odd that I'm getting hits from Google Play and I'm getting Google TV. You know, so there's something wrong with their uh, their analytics collection because it's reporting like you know I can I can understand iPad I can understand iPhone but I can't understand why I'm getting you know devices that I don't even support because it's an iOS app right why they would be showing up in my in my um, AdMob or my Firebase analytics so it's kind of strange weird eh that is weird. Yeah, so we'll have to see how it plays out, I mean, over time. Uh, by the way, I've made a penny so far in a week, which I thought was really cool. It's more than I made on, I, on iAds in the li- about the same amount of time, right? <laughs> oh, it's sorry, it's estimated that I've made a penny. They they haven't really sort of qualified that yet, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, after taxes, that that gets done nothing.
1: That's true, and I only get 70% of that penny, right? <laughs> that's right,
0: that's right.
1: <laughs> or less, because it's Google, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I found a link here that, uh, just quickly here, about the um, Apple may be working on putting an ARM chip into the Macs for some purpose. And Mark, I think you had something to say about that, right?
2: Yeah, so ARM chips are, are really meant for low power usage. So so I think what they're talking about here is to put an ARM chip in addition to an Intel chip into a MacBook, not to replace the Intel chip. Because you need that, there's, there's always a, in chips, there's always a, uh, Power speed trade off. You know, so, the, the faster you want something to go, the more power you need to burn up and the more heat you need to dissipate. Uh, but if you can give up some of that speed, you can get the power down. And that's why uh, laptops and phones traditionally lag behind desktops uh, in, in terms of power, uh, in terms of speed and performance, uh, because they're run by battery, they have to have less power consumption. So, this is kind of an interesting idea. If they can put an ARM chip in there as well as the Intel chip, then they can use the Intel chip for things that are really performance intensive. You know, if you're doing, you know, really powerful, uh, you know, strong calculations or, or heavy graphics stuff, you, you're going to use the, the Intel chip. Or, and, you know, it's kind of a similar idea to using a, a graphics coprocessor, too, as you share the work. Uh, but the, the ARM chip can be used for some of the more routine stuff or, you know, background stuff that, that doesn't necessarily have to have the, the highest performance. So it's, it's an interesting idea. It'll be interesting to see what they do. This is all kind of speculation at this point, but uh, it'll be real interesting to see what they do.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a sticky situation for Intel because they're also um, allegedly getting attacked on the other side from the Microsoft camp where Microsoft is, is looking to do some versions of Windows that would be more or less cloud only. So think of it as a as a revision of where they went wrong with Windows RT, but instead being versions of Windows that are... Kind of like Chromebooks, they're, they're mostly net-enabled, um, very simple machines that use only um, apps from their Windows Store that are uh, UWP, that's what is that, Universal Windows Platform, built. And uh, supposedly, the, the current scuttlebutt, uh, as we record here, is that they're looking to do that with some sort of ARM-based chip. Um, again, getting into that, like, divorcing themselves from being at the whim of, of Intel, kind of interested to see where this this goes in the in the future for them because it's like they're this huge you know 800 pound gorilla that other people are, <laughs> are trying to find ways to get around but but still can't right like it, obviously microsoft and and apple can't at this moment do that not completely at the least
2: yeah and, and so, i'm not
0: sure this is purely a if, if it's even happening right it's just a rumor at this point
2: but i'm not sure it's purely a move to get away from intel as opposed to uh the the ongoing drive that Apple's had to improve battery life and, and and improve the length of time you can go without a charge of of all their devices, uh, it, you know, if it, if it if it does help to have a second supply, great, but but uh, but there are definitely user experience advantages to, to doing this kind of thing. Sorry, look at all the issues that the the MacBook uh, Pro that just came out had because of battery issues and Consumer Reports and all that, right? So anything they can do to improve the battery life is up there. And they're and they're getting to the point where it's gonna be hard to cram uh any more battery into an ever thinning uh laptop, right? So they have to come up with some other novel solutions.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess for me, um and, and maybe it's just the way that this is being presented, for all I know, like maybe they're dividing the world into Intel versus non Intel. But I, mean, I was under the impression that Intel had licensed Arm, so that they could fabricate chips. Is that not correct?
2: Right. So, so Intel has been trying to get into the foundry business, uh, which is, you know, which is the doing the manufacturing side of, of chips as opposed to the design side, uh, and you know, in, so so that you can have uh, what are called fabless design houses, so p- companies that are that are purely design chip design companies that don't have any manufacturing. Uh, typically those those kinds of companies use something like t s m c or or u m c which are pure play foundries they don't do any of their own design uh they only do the manufacturing uh, Intel would like to get some of that business uh but in order to do it, they have to be able to manufacture whatever designs people give them so if they don't have rights to manufacture an arm chip then they're kind of stuck right they They can only take customers that don't use Arm chips, which is trying kind to of limit it in the number of number of people who might be doing that,
0: right, so then it, I guess kind of circling back to this, then it may not be the case um, that this is a way to get a reduced uh, Intel role because they, they might actually get yeah. an increased one and they might be building that's, or
1: manufacturing that chip
2: that's true that's true mm. yep. okay yep okay, yep,
1: I just found the link on the uh, story I was talking about before about uh, airplay. Oh, oh, okay,
2: okay. Largely
1: based on the the components. Or it's not the components, the
0: um, sort of satellite devices, like the airport uh, routers and
1: everything. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. But it still works on the uh, Apple TV and... Yeah. yeah. It does say,
2: if you go down about halfway, it says Apple seems to have zero interest in eliminating AirPlay as a technology because it's vital to their iOS Apple TV connection. Hmm, Mm
1: hmm, hmm.
2: So, so, but yeah, it's true that that the mode of operation, and I've used this too, where you have a, an Airport Express just purely as a way to get all the music on your on your laptop through your stereo. Right, will go away when the hardware goes away. No, oh, I like see. That. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I hadn't really heard much about uh, that particular use of AirPlay in a while. Using the Air- Airport Express. No, right? yeah, I used to do that all
2: the time, but I but I haven't haven't in a
1: while. It's true. All right. So, why don't you tell us what blew up today, Jaime? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think we've talked about GitLab
0: before um, on the show. They're they're a GitHub competitor. They're they're in that space of you know providing Git hosting, but they also have this, this whole bunch of software that helps you do pull requests and, and other bits. Um, and I think you can host it uh, yourself. You don't necessarily have to use their hosted service. Um, however, speaking of that hosted service, um, it went offline for a bit. Because uh, unfortunately, one of their sysadmins accidentally deleted uh, critical data, and to make matters worse, uh, it turns out their backups weren't um, available, and it apparently had not been working for some time. So uh, they ended up triaging and figuring out that about as good as they could get is with about six hours worth of uh, you know freshness, um, you know, meaning six hours worth of, of data loss, unfortunately, and. Uh, I think to their credit, they're doing it out in the open, right? Like companies could definitely go in one of two different ways. They could kind of just like keep it all quiet and talk to anybody, get things done and then sort of hope and pray. I think in this case, they seem to have been really, really focusing themselves on like, well, you know, hosting data is kind of what we do. (laughs) There's a lot of egg on our face. So doing it out in the open is at least an opportunity to sort of change the the perspective from, from customers. Right. Because, if you were one of their customers, I'm sure you would be really, really angry right now. Like, just imagine if you went to GitHub oh, and your yeah, project yeah. was missing. Yeah. Right? You'd yeah. go insane.
2: Especially if they tried to hide it and cover it up. You, yeah. You yeah. Lose so, it. They'd lose you as a customer forever.
1: Yeah. And I think this is kind of one of the things about cloud technologies. people think that they're safe, right? And, you know, that, that I mean... <laughs> To be honest I would think that they're safe too. Like if I'm putting stuff up there I'm thinking it's gonna be it's you know, this is a safe place to put it. But uh but this is all it takes really to to have something go wrong, right? And then if and you know, I've been burned by my own backups from time to time too, where you, you think things are happily ha- cooking along and, you know, you lose something, and you go to try and find it, and it's gone. But when when you're kind of putting your faith in other people. So so GitLab is, is like GitHub. It's kind of a free service sort of thing. Is that the idea? I think they have uh, paid. I have to look, I
0: think there's um, open source, again, like hosted on your own box sort of thing. Right, uh, yeah, a solution. Yeah. But their their bread and butter for, for revenue is, is, I think, the enterprise edition where they, they charge you for stuff, right? You get very similar to the way that GitHub makes money off of its um, enterprise editions. And yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think you made a, a good point there that, like, I think the narrative has been the cloud is is safe by default, and right. it's really yeah. not, right? Like, it, it still takes good engineering practices um, to, to make sure that when you are putting data anywhere, whether it's on your own servers, it's on your own boxes that you have, you're um, co-locating stuff somewhere, uh, it's in the cloud, it's on AWS, it's on Azure, whatever it is. Like you really have to make, like assuming it's worth it to you, you really have to make sure there are processes in place and then you test out those processes, right? It's, it's like right. fire extinguishers, like great. It's great to have one at your house, but you really need to go get it inspected by the fire department every once in a while to make sure it's actually still functional. Um, and, and people have brought up a, a couple different ones. I, I don't have the links in front of me because I think it just kind of went around in, in Slack or, or Twitter chatter. But I think one technique that people talked about to make it so that, oh, yeah, the, yeah, of course we have backups isn't just um, a thing that goes unnoticed, is that they use the backups to do their reporting, right? So like mm. any, and like analytics type reporting where you have your, your production system and then you take the backups and then you fire up the backup system and you use that to get you know daily or weekly, monthly, whatever it is, reports that are important for your business you'll notice that right. those are missing, right? You'll be like, hey, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this number doesn't make sense.
2: That's a good idea, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's as kind as of long like... as it's
2: not prohibitively slow, it's, it's a great
1: idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I've said this before. You know, you can you can back stuff up to the cloud all you want, but it, you still want anything that's important. You want to back that up on
0: multiple disks
2: that yeah, you right, have for
1: sure. physical yep. access to. Yep.
0: As you never know. Yeah, I think it would be kind of nice if there was um, – more of the appliance type thing. And and granted for this technique, you, you kind of need, you know, a trusted group of people like family or friends. Um, and I have seen a couple of products out in the market back in the day. I don't know how easy they are, but, uh, I had a couple of colleagues back in, wow, it was a long time ago, back in 20. No, it was 2006. Yeah. Was it wasn't wow. the, the 2010s. And, uh, one of them worked in Colorado. One of them worked in, uh, New Mexico, and one was here somewhere in the Seattle area, and they basically had this, like, triangle sync. I think they were just using, like, Rsync or something between yeah. their, like, little server boxes, and some encrypted form was, was on one guy's box, and then that was uh, encrypted in another form in the other guy's box. So even if their entire town blew up and they survived, um, they could still pull down everything they needed from, you know, the other sites. Mm.
1: That's kind of how clock crash plan works and i'm sure backblaze and servers like that as work as well work like you can you can back up using crash plan software to uh to a, another machine in your in your home or to a home a machine at a friend's house or to one of their servers online right so um because uh, i currently do that with one of my customers right now i their, their stuff backs up to me right but um and I, as well, I have the third-party service, but interesting. And it is—it all runs on the back of our sync as well. Interesting idea, yeah. But you know, like like I can't tell you. I've, I'm 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 looking at a drive. We talked about it just before the show, where I know I'm I'm really suspe- suspicious of my backups because. You know, I, I do use a, you know, like I went to check my Time Machine backup today on my Time Capsule, and, and it sort of said, "Oh yeah, we're just waiting to finish a good backup of this drive." I'm like, "Oh, that's great. That means the drive hasn't been backing up." You know, and then I have to check my crash plan itself to see if that's been backing it up. And I also have a physical backup, like Mark said, that I I made myself by cloning the drive to another drive. Right? So data loss sucks, man. Yeah, sure does.
2: So I use a I use a double
1: Time Machine. I
2: have my main time machine backups that I do, I do it probably every couple of days, which I probably should do it more, but I do it in a couple of days. And then I have another one that I back that up to once every couple of months or so, just in case.
1: So you physically plug a drive-in, you mean, kind of thing, right?
2: Yes. I physic- yeah, I physically plug a second drive in for infrequent backups as well as the, as the one for, for, uh, right. for frequent backups. So I have two different drives.
1: Yeah, so what I, what I do with mine is is I have it like I have a time capsule here. I usually, I try to have a couple of them running if I can, yeah. um, and I and I back up every second night to one one or the other, and then um, but I also have that backed up that way. And then and lately, what I've been doing with because of the limited space on my drive, I started storing my iTunes backups on another drive. So before I go to back sync my phone, I plug in the drive. And and I have an alias or a symbolic link from my, the, for the backup folder on my Mac, which actually goes to an external drive. Because when I was backing up my, my my iPad Pro and my my six, you know my my iPhone six plus, and they're all like you know sixty four gig or one hundred twenty eight gig, there's more space than I have on my Mac if available. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a one terabyte you know old style, old school you know mechanical drive that I back up to right. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that saved me a ton of space. So we were talking about that product, um, Clean My Mac. You and I last week, and finding that you know, it's a great way to clean up your caches, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and save tons of space, like twenty, thirty gigabytes of space. Yep. Um, which is what yep. I found, right? But but yeah, for yep. me, it was like I think I have like you know sixty gigabytes of iPhone backups, right? Like wow, apps wow. and apps and the, the phone device itself backed up, right? Plus multiple devices, right? Yep. Yep. Oh well, yeah.
2: yeah. I also have a whole separate. Disc that's just for backing up my music. I, I put all my iTunes music on this right, yeah. one disc, and don't use it for anything else. That one's mainly not so much for, for uh, uh, fear of losing the data, because pretty much all of it was was you know taken from CDs that I that I still own. Uh, right. It's just it's just the pain and the. Pain in the neck factor of having to rip all those CDs again <laughs> if, if my drive ever went down. So sure. so, I, so I keep that I keep it all.
1: Oh, well, so you have you have a, a duplicate duplicate copy? You mean right?
2: Yeah. So I have I have all my music on my main laptop, but then I have a whole a whole separate and 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 that's backed up with my regular laptop backups. But then I have a whole separate drive that I just use with a, has another copy of all the music separate, just in case. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that's a little bit paranoid and overkill, but
1: <laughs> you know. But discs are cheap. Yeah, yeah, and I do the, I do the same thing with with our both of our Macs here. My wife's Mac and my Mac is is uh, I put my iTunes library on an external drive that's on the network, right? Okay. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah. So yep. it, it it has a bit of syncing issues with the two libraries, but but then I don't have to have don't have to have the music on the actual physical Macs, right? So.
2: You know, I've actually thought about doing exactly that, getting some kind of network-attached RAID system yeah. uh, and, and just hosting all the music and, and stuff like that from that one spot.
1: Yeah, well, I use a Drobo for that right now. I'm, I'm I'm okay as long as one of the drives fails, but not if two of them fail.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so is that RAID, uh, Which which RAID level is that?
1: Well, actually, Drobo is kind of funny. Drobo has this... They call it Beyond RAID, and what it is uh-huh. is... Because with most RAIDs, you have to put in identical drives. They're cheap drives, but you still have to put yep. in a, a bunch of them. Yep. Whereas Drobo, um, you can start off with four one terabytes, and then then you can swap out a, a terabyte for a two terabyte, and it automatically does the the migration over so i think i currently have like three or four um two terabyte drives in there and it just grows it grows up to 16 terabytes right mm-hmm. so it mm-hmm. always looks like there's 16 terabytes of space even though there isn't really it's it's whatever you have in physical discs and some people hate Trobos, and but i've i've had good luck with them so hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you can move, you can take the drives out of one Drobo and move, over, move them over to another. And you don't have to worry about the order that they go in. They automatically, as long as it's a set that's together, they'll, they'll automatically uh, uh, connect up. So, yeah. Well. You know, whereas Rage, you have to be really careful that, you know, drive number one was in drive number one position and drive number two in drive number two position. And, you know, knock on wood, my, my Drobo hasn't gone down itself, right? So, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, if the whole thing goes down, you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, this is the old, you know, three and a half inch, you know, SATA drives, right? Anyway, enough about backups. Mm-hmm. We have to wake Jaime back up and start the show again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why don't we uh why don't we skip over this, to our picks and Mark, do you have a pick? I do. My pick is
2: uh, is that uh Google has released open source uh their Chrome browser for iOS. So yeah, Interestingly enough, this Chrome was was open source for pretty much every other platform uh, up until recently. Uh, iOS was not simply because they had some issues with WebKit, uh, and, hmm. and, you know, the details are, are written on in some articles. Uh, but now they've they've uh, migrated everything to an open source repository, so you can go in now and you can look at the source code for for Chrome, Chrome for iOS, kind of interesting. Oh. See what their see what their uh, coding styles and what their thought processes are over at Google.
0: Yeah, I'm. Oh, as I was gonna say I'm very curious to see sort of what they they do because they have to work around the fact that they they can't have their normal browsing engine stuff in there and the beholden to the fact that they have to use um, uh, Apple's WebKit. pre-installed yeah. one, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess their their version is something called Blink. Uh, that they use for all the other platforms, and that was why that they had they had never merged the iOS version into the the standard uh, repo for all the other versions. It looks like now they still are using WebKit because they have to, but they figured out a way to to merge it in all into into one uh, repo pretty safe, safely.
0: So check it out. Oh wow! This this Google Git is not friendly. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, that was my opinion. I was like, oh, it's going to be like GitHub or GitLab or anything. Oh, no, it's like old SVN repositories. Oh, shell view controller. Yeah. All right. Well, at least the highlighting sort of works a little bit. I recommend downloading this and looking at it on your own machine because this (laughs) is painful
1: to the web. All right. So, Hamid, do you have a pick for us
0: today? I do. And I think I've mentioned it before. So it's like recycling a pick, but I think for very uh, important reasons. So this was Google translates app for, um, well, in this case for iOS, cause we're, we're mostly mm-hmm. focused on that. And that's what I'm using it on. Um, they now have live translation of Japanese text. And that, I think that's where they're starting at. Um, I'm hoping they'll do this for more languages. Um, but before you had to take a picture and say, oh, like, what is, you know, what is this text? Maybe um, scrub where the text is that you're interested in, in looking at. And that's okay, but it, it's kind of slower. And it needed um, a live uh, connection, if I'm not mistaken, to get the service answer for this. But now you can download um, offline capability, and it's way cooler because you just kind of hold up your phone over text, and it will give you the live translation. So we've got a, a link here to the TechCrunch article on this that gives you the, the idea where they have some Japanese text that you might find at a restaurant um, that says, you know, cash only um, in Japanese, but uh, translate it into English for you and your viewing benefits. Um, I've tried this out a little bit, and it's still machine translation, so uh, I wouldn't go crazy with it. I don't think you're going to read a novel with it because it it gets... Uh, I think progressively worse, the further away the language um, gets from being sort of a standard formalized Japanese, the more um, informal, just like, you know, the way we're speaking on this very podcast is very informal. And if you ran it through a machine, it would turn all sorts of the crazy things that we say into complete, utter nonsense. Um, <laughs> because we're not following like, oh, you know, we've got a subject, I've got, you know, predicate and, and so forth. And we probably have dangling um, participles all over the place. I'd say use it more for things where you're trying to understand what's on a menu or you're trying to understand a sign uh, and, and don't go too crazy with it. Just setting it, everybody's expectations there. Yeah. I guess they acquired WordLens, which is an app, uh, probably a 32 bit app um, that I had way back in the day, back in 2014. It looks like they're, they're continuing to, to make it better. And I'm assuming that what they're doing here is probably more, of that machine learning secret sauce where they probably have a pre-trained network. That's looking for this sort of thing and, and doing it live. Hmm. It's just pretty neat. It doesn't like, you'll have to see it for yourself, but it doesn't just show it like, Oh, here's this like, you know, box where it's putting the text into. No, it's like live putting it over the top, which is I think pretty nice. Cause it gives you more of the
1: context as to what's going on. So you speak into it and it translates what you're saying into Japanese text.
0: No, no no i'm, I'm sorry uh,
1: this is specific to uh written text oh written text okay yeah yeah so you throw a co- block a copy into it and It translates it no like oh, it, I'm it used to be <laughs> it used to be that you
0: had to copy in text or it used to be that you have to take a picture and it would use the picture now it's using the live camera feed so it's, it's a lot easier to use um i find it
2: kind of like an augmented reality translator right. where you where you look at some text through the phone and it translates it on the fly
1: oh i right? see yeah, yeah yeah so like yeah. when i go to when i go to a chinese restaurant and they have the the menus on the walls in in yep. chinese language and i need my friend to tell me that says chicken and that says pork right <laughs> so i don't even yes. friend anymore but except a Jap- i have to go to a japanese restaurant for that right yeah unfortunately it's only japanese to to
0: english Actually, I haven't tried it in the reverse to see if it does the reverse. Well, I'll I'll try that and follow up um, on that. But I, I found it pretty useful. So I've got some anime DVDs that I bought from a friend, and unfortunately, oh, right. okay. he, he gave me ones that um, the menus are only in Japanese. Mm. So I was like, oh, I don't even I don't even know where I'm supposed to go <laughs> to start watching stuff. What is this other stuff? Uh, and I used this on that. I was like, oh, okay, this one's extras, and this one's play the episodes, this one's view the episode list. And for whatever reason, the thing I went into was some sort of commercial for other unrelated <laughs> shows. So I was like, alright. Trailers, <laughs> cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: But yeah, it could definitely be useful for, for restaurants, because you know, often the the best, most authentic restaurants are the ones that don't have English translations. And if you can't read it, you're out of luck, right? <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: so
1: this mm-hmm, would yeah. help for that. Okay, well my pick is actually a pick that Jaime that found for me. The Icon Factory has created their own drawing app called Linea, and it, basically what it is is it's interesting. It, it's a drawing app for the iPad Pro with pencil, um, and it, it you know when you start drawing on it, it, it feels just like using a graphic graphite pencil on paper. It has paper like a paper texture, and the the scribbles you make look very much like uh, scribbling on a piece of paper. So it's, it's conducive to doodling, which a lot of uh, people who like to draw just like to sort of noodle around with different ideas. And what's interesting about it and what they say about it in their blog post is that... Um, they approached it from the point of view of uh, writing apps have taken away and gotten rid of all the extra s- stuff that, that's in word processors because for the longest time people thought you needed a word processor to write, whereas what you really need is a simple place to put down your text and just a couple of simple things, which is why apps, smaller apps for writing work well. And I, and I will agree that a lot of the um, drawing apps that we see in for iOS, um, they're either like the Notes app, where you've got a couple of you know a felt tip pen and a pencil and a and a ruler and some colors. And it's a good way to just sort of scribble down an idea. And some of the other apps, some of the Adobe apps are pretty simple. And then you get into the, the higher ones like Procreate, where it's like a full-on art studio kind of thing in a box, right? This is a much more simpler, faster. It's more like a sketchbook would be if, if you were thinking about traditional media where you just have a paper, you know, a coiled sketchbook and a piece of paper and and you're drawing. And it's, it's not too fancy and it's not too fussy in terms of the tool choices, um, which in some cases might be limiting. It has layers and all that other kind of stuff that people like to have, and uh, it's pretty cool. So we've been playing around with that for the last couple of days. And that's my pick, Linea. So it Linea.
0: feels right, for lack of a better term. Like, I know it's really hard to sort of get that across. Like, I'm looking at the videos and yeah. and kind of trying to imagine, but it that feel of the pencil and, and how it sort of reacts to your... Um, brush strokes or pen strokes uh, that feels uh, agreeable to you it feels
1: it feels natural yeah i mean one of the things that that, uh, i've noticed with a lot of pen apps or apps that write for the pencil is you can correct what the person writes down right like you can if, if they make a sort of gesture you can kind of smooth it out they don't do any of that stuff they just leave you make a mark they leave the mark right um, I'm just gonna. I'm just opening up my uh, Twitter f- or my Slack here that I have with with Tammy because I pasted a picture in there for her yesterday. Let me grab this for you guys. So I just like this is like a two second sketch of just you know. Um, where did it go? Show and Finder that would be good. Drop this into the chat so you can see it. Yeah, this is like a you know, little. Took me a couple of minutes just to, to scribble this out, and and it, like I said, it feels very much, and, and I'd say that you know metaphorically, it feels very much like uh, like using a piece of paper would be. You just sort of you know I was watching TV, just scribbling away, right? So, you know, I sort of started out with just a little couple of rough lines, and then kind of shaded in and. Um, and then afterwards, you can put another layer over top and sort of ink it. Like, there's even if you're drawing uh, graphic novels, you know, they have somebody sort of sits down with a pencil and a, and a piece of paper, and they kind of draw stuff out. Then they hand it off to an inker who actually goes through and does another layer on top and fills in the colors and makes Spider-Man look like Spider-Man kind of thing, right? So Yeah, it's Jim, got a very look here. Yeah, your bird looks really... Tired or depressed? depressed. <laughs> that's why. That's why I said it, it to Tammy. <laughs> Just not a very happy bird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the texturing looks really. It does look like
0: paper like i 'm looking at it, and it does look a lot like that.
1: And- well, another really cool thing that I love about this is is when I was in university, I was all in, it was into optical illusions and and drawing things that were geometrically based um, kind of drawings and, and some of my paintings were that way, but I used to have graph paper sketchbooks right. And so this has a graph paper mode where you can have like the, you know, typical square graph, or you can have the, uh, I think it's more of an engineering style where you have like every fourth line is bold. And you get, Mm -hmm. so you get like the square and then you got the divisions. But it also has isometric graph paper, which is kind of cool for drawing, you know, quickly drawing up like uh, some sort of iconography or whatever. So yeah, it's it's, kind of neat. And I I haven't really found it if there's a way to get the lines to snap to the graph, uh, graph paper lines, but, uh, it's really cool. Actually, one of uh, just as an aside, one of my favorite drawing tools is is the Notes app because it has this really cool ruler in it where um, you can you can take the ruler and you can sort of you know use your fingers to p- sort of pinch it to turn it to a certain angle, and then anything you draw along the edge automatically snaps to that edge. And then, so if you draw a line, then you move the ruler slightly and draw another line, move the ruler slightly, and you very quickly can build up your own graph paper. Right? So yeah, I've used that before uh, in the
0: Notes app to try to make. Um sort of like red line type marks of like, this is where I think this will need to be chopped off or uh, so on and so forth with uh, more precision. Um, so looking at this, uh, I think it's interesting that they went sort of a, a different direction than like a, a competitor, like paper, which was what came to mind right. when I first heard yeah. about this mm-hmm. paper started off very simple and has over time sort of evolved into more, more of a notebook competitor. something more like Evernote and this goes more towards the like pure sketchbook from from what i'm seeing so making it real seamless and minimal and i think there's probably room for both um i don't do a lot of sketching so i think it's probably not for me i'd lean more towards the evernote in paper because i'm you know i'm doing something that's the equivalent of like whiteboarding right but i'm doing it sort of remotely and not on an actual whiteboard where yeah yeah box diagrams sequence diagram type stuff where Um, Precision is a little bit more interesting to me, in in terms of um, like I want precise. Like I drew something that looks like a box. If it can turn it into an automatic, like perfect geometric square, that's great. Right, Um, right. And I can see how that would be really irritating here because no, no, no. I'm trying to sketch. I'm trying to give it a more organic, natural feel. So I, I think there's there's room for both for sure.
1: I think it actually might actually be for you, honey, because because I mean, it even has things like. iphone templates right so if you were drawing um so i'll show you i just do this real, like i was just noodling around with this yesterday and just drew this up real quick so here's another one so i was just drawing uh, you know a quick uh iphone layout right and it see how see how it's got the sort of grid lines there it gives you the shape of the phone and you know so you could very quickly just sort of throw up an idea of what a what a what a, a design would look like right Oh, okay. So that
0: that completely changes it for me. So my my previous comment was more of like, you know, <laughs> I'm not really like an artist, and yeah. I kind of want more uh, more functional bits out of my my drawing. Um, mm-hmm. But this, like, so I actually have uh, a couple stacks of of this kind of paper um, mm-hmm. that is is pre printed out. It's already got the the grid lines and and well. I'm down to the fact that I'm using like Android ones that are about the same size as the iPhone Plus, a uh, Seven Plus, so it works out right. all the same. Uh, but this would actually be really good. I would actually use this part where it has the hard frame and all the dots uh, lined up for you. Uh, but I'm still able to sk- uh, scribble on that, so that's good. So let's see, it's nine ninety nine US in the in the store, so that that's an easy buy. I'll do that. Oh wait, hold on. Is it on- <laughs> is it only Apple? Pencil? Only iPad Pro, iPad Pro. Yeah, oh yeah, man, I I have, I have neither of those, but I know, uh, I know. I'm looking to upgrade to what I assume is a 9.7 inch Pro when they refresh, so I'll definitely get that.
1: Now, yeah, but
2: if in the next version they can export a storyboard from your drawing, then they're on something. <laughs> With and all turn the it into and code? <laughs> no, I don't need code, just the storyboard.
1: Yeah. Well, they have storyboarding, but it's not the storyboarding you're thinking of. It's like storyboarding for movies, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you <I> know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, it's sort of, uh, it doesn't do the sort of omni kind of, uh, you know, the UR, UML kind of stuff in the, um, what do you call those, flow diagrams. Um, doesn't do those kind of things, but still, it's uh, pretty cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But like I said, and, and you know, in as much as using a plastic nib on a piece of glass can feel like drawing on paper, I think the, the what comes out at the at the tip of the pencil to, to is what I was saying before, when it feels more like drawing on, on paper, right? So... You know, and it's you know, it's kind of cool. I mean, I hadn't really, to be honest with you, I hadn't really looked at, looked at my Apple Pencil in probably about three weeks until you sent me this idea. Cool, so, well, glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this about the iPad. I have the 9 point, sorry, 12.9 inch. And uh, I like having the size of it, but like I really, it's a real drag to sort of drag around back and forth to work every day. Um, I almost wish I had a, the smaller iPad. Um, and a friend of mine's—he's been having, you know, he's got—he's, you know, looking at my iPad, going, "I really want that iPad." And so I'm thinking about flipping it and, and getting a smaller one. But uh, but then again, I then I get an app like this, and I'm like, "Oh, this is really cool for drawing on, right?" So a little bit of follow-up, too, is that uh, last week when I was doing the artwork for the show, I normally do things in Photoshop. And uh, like I said, I've got Photoshop CS6, and as the uh, operating systems get newer and newer, parts of Photoshop start falling off, like they don't work properly. So uh, based on Tammy's inspiration, I downloaded Affinity Designer, and I did the artwork for the show last week with Affinity Designer instead of... Uh, and actually, for my app submission, I also did some artwork uh, using Affinity Desi- Designer instead of Photoshop. You guys sound so excited! Wait, <laughs> I'm, slightly, I'm, I'm slightly confused. So, when you say last episode, do you mean the one with the barcode? Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, I was, I was so to, thinking... to two
0: episodes ago, then that would make more sense.
1: Well, I was actually thinking about the the uh, I was actually thinking about the Pi Day stuff that I did. In I did my I had to do some messaging mes- uh, icons for the messaging and stuff like that, like. go... It's kind of a spoiler, but if people would take the time to download um, Pi Day Gantle, they may or may not get an MTJC sticker. I don't know.
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: um, yeah, it was actually it was actually for Pi Day that I, that I did some artwork, and instead of using what I would have normally done, was I would normally just fire up Photoshop and do the different size icons and you know whatever. I used uh, I made the point of using uh, Affinity Designer to do that instead of using um, Illustrator or Photoshop, right? Because I have to get off the uh, I don't, want to go to, I don't want to go to the cloud. They can't make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of that tune. All right. So uh, I guess that's it for the week, eh, guys? I Indeed. so. Yep. All right. So Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, wherever they look. I am at dev of the Hair on Twitter. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. And as I said, at the top of the show, I'm Timitra and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that currently is the best way to get a hold of me. But I think it's about time to resurrect app.net, to be honest with you. <laughs> just, just yeah. too much politics <laughs> on just, my Twitter just, feed. Just as it's, uh, as no. it's shutting
0: down, right? Like-
1: I know. I'm, I'm thinking about this. Like like Somebody needs to come up with a social network that blocks... Any mention of or any work by or from that guy that keeps plugging up my uh, my Twitter feed, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think possible.
0: Better.
1: Yeah, if if you had that sort
0: of thing, I think Facebook would dump a load of cash right on your lap to, uh, to
1: acquire it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, well, there has to be some sort of uh, big giant filter. I was talking to Jaime about this last week, and he was sort of saying he's blocking people that aren't on the tech wave, right? Uh, if they're spending too much time talking about those other subjects, it seems to be plugging up. Because I mean, Twitter's gotten to the point where I, I almost don't even want to look at it anymore, right? So, Difficult I mean, times. I want to look at it. I want to see how the car is careening down the road and it's going to smash into everything. I do want to yeah. see that, but I don't want to see. You know, I want to. I go to Twitter for to hook up with the developers and see what's going on. And it's it's like ninety nine percent noise now, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so I was, I was lamenting the fact that you know app.net, which was originally designed for app developers or developers, wasn't it? Wasn't that the original idea behind it? It's kind of where it started out its life as um,
0: a lot of developers angry at Twitter's developer API changes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it kind of picked up steam uh, there. Well, we never did say, hey, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate you helping spreading the word. We're also on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore You can support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. by the way i have been watching the crown i don't know if uh, you guys either you guys were talking about that on netflix yeah i haven't you gotten any no, I haven't further my I, I gotta figure it out my fiance actually wants
0: to continue watching that one or not because oh really okay I, i'm kind of hoping not because then i can just watch it myself and burn through it all oh i <laughs> rather, see rather, <laughs> rather yeah. than
1: waiting for her to be in the mood to watch it yeah yeah that's one of those things i guess that you have that uh yeah appendage to deal with mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean it's funny because like I, I'm you know a big Doctor Who fan and and Jenna Coleman who was the Doctor's companion oh yeah, yeah. Uh, is doing Victoria on Masterpiece Theatre so I started watching that one and that's that, I think that's actually you know I'm interested in, in the story obviously because I am you know a subject of the British Empire and um, you know grew up with all that kind of stuff and it's funny like the, my 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 short. Uh, review of the crown is my first thought was how could you how could you put drama into such a boring story as the as the royal family like you know you know 20th century monarchy is nothing really super like great about it i mean especially especially talking about young elizabeth so back in the back in the 50s right um, you know, the big thing was when Diana was around and all that kind of stuff and all that sort of supposed scandal, but it surprisingly got a lot of drama to it. And it actually is, it is rather ca- kind of compelling to watch. You know, I've grown up with the queen my whole life, right? Because she's like my, my queen, right? And I've known about this, you know, when my mother was into that kind of stuff and my sisters are all into it. So it's really kind of really weird to be watching it now. Uh, I think a lot of it is fictionalized. is what, uh, fictional history or something like that. There's, has a, there's a name for it. Fictionalized history or something, um, But yeah, it's it's an interesting show. So kind of very very compelling. So I want to find out how it turns out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> spoilers the queen survives till the very end
1: <laughs> and she keeps going and going and going i mean i don't
0: know maybe they're like gonna throw a twist at the end of season one it's like oh it's an alternate history you've been watching a science fiction show the entire time Yeah,
1: exactly she's an alien from another planet yeah exactly well, well it's funny because i was thinking about that actually today as I was just watching it just before the show here and because of course now i'm have to burn through it like you said the my, my sister came over the other day and said, oh, you should be watching The Crown. And so I started watching it. And it, and it, is, it is a hooking. And the other thing, too, is that uh, Matt Smith, who was Doctor Who for, I think he, I don't know, people are going to yell at me. It's probably the 12th Doctor, I think. Um I He was one. Of, I really liked him as Doctor Who, but uh, he's great. He plays Prince Philip in this thing. So he's really funny. So it's like having Doctor Who as the Queen's companion, right? <laughs> Speaking of Doctor Who, have you heard that Peter Capaldi is leaving Doctor Who? Is he really, like, like, his choice?
2: Yeah, at the end of the season,
1: he's done. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, I it's kind of one, It's kind of interesting. I'm thinking about this stuff. Like, Clara, who was the character that Jenna Coleman played, she kind of left, you know, really sort of strangely, in my opinion, right? And I wonder if it's because she'd signed this contract for Victoria and she had to go off and do that, right? And then, um, you know, Matt Smith, why, you know, why does he leave and why does David Tennant leave? I mean, you know, they were very people like them a lot and i mean david Tennant is tammy's favorite doctor right yeah i wonder i wonder if like they had this sort of convenient thing where they could switch the doctors out by having them transform into another person right or another uh, version of them but uh i I often wonder if it's contractual reasons why people you know why the doctor transforms right spoilers for those of you
0: (laughs) (laughs) i I just assumed it was a bbc
1: cost saving measure yeah, well, I, and I think it initially started, there's a, there's a show, a movie about the original uh, series where they had, a, the Doctor was a really older guy, and after two seasons or so, he started getting really sort of senile and uh started having some dementia, and they had to sort of figure a way out of it, and that was how they came up with this idea of, of transforming him into another person, right, and getting another actor to play the same role, so... You know, it's like it's just like the reason why they have transporters on Star Trek in the original 60s series, right? Spoilers for those of you who don't know this, but the reason why they had them was because it was too expensive to have models landing on a planet and taken off again. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. e- easier to put some crystals in a in a in a glass and swirl them to make it look like uh, they were appearing, right? Yeah,
2: I could also see with Doctor Who that's that's a very career defining role. So if you stay yeah, with it sure. too long, then then you're pretty much typecast. You can't kind of can't do anything else after that
0: yeah yeah. Uh yeah.
2: so i could see that you know if you're a young actor playing it i mean if you're at the end of your career maybe it doesn't matter so much but if you're a young guy like matt smith you might not want to be only known as playing doctor who and never doing anything else after
1: right right yeah that's true that's true like for the my original doctor is the guy from the late 70s um now i've forgotten his name tom now. baker right that's, tom baker right was yeah mine tom baker, too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah and and he he was that for like a number of years or at least it seemed like it right, right. so i have to go back and see because we used to we didn't get them you know for those of you listening in the uk we didn't get them live as they came out we had to wait months you know six months to two years before they actually showed them over here right when we were kids, right, Mark?
2: Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't until probably the early '80s that I saw all those Tom Baker ones right. from yeah. the '70s. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, because I think you you probably watched them on PBS in the states. I did. Yes. Yeah, that's that's where I watched them as well. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. There you go. Some fodder for the after show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, did um, did you hear that um, uh, bass player from Asia?
2: Yeah, John Wetton bass player and lead singer from king crimson as well as asia yeah he did he died i think yesterday
1: oh really he yeah. did all the he did all the stuff he toured with um steve hackett on the first genesis revisited as well so he's been a lot of been, been a lot of bands they're just calling him you know the bass player from asia but I, yeah i knew he had a Kim, king crimson connection as well right yeah
2: yeah he was in king crimson first actually uh actually i think it was in uriah Heep as well which was a oh, really real wow. obscure one yeah yeah. And then uh, he was in a band called UK after King Crimson, right? Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then Asia after that. Yeah, he's been around a lot. I mean, for well, he was he was in a lot of the, like big name top prog groups. I and mean, he was kind of considered one of the you know prog royalty in the seventies. In the yeah, 80s. for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he was still still around. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how, when he last toured, but anyway, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He's
2: yeah he's been he's been touring with Asia lately.
1: Oh, like on the okay. They were having. Oh, right. They had
2: kind of a reunion tour with Carl Palmer and uh, and ah, Jeff right. Downs.
1: Yeah. Huh. yeah. Cool. Oh, Palmer was in Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was that uh, Steve Howe? Or Steve, it was Steve Howe,
2: Howe. Yeah, it was John Wetton, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs, and Carl Palmer. So, oh, really? Okay. Serious so. supergroup
1: for for, Prague, yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hence the name. I think the name was was supposed to, you know, reference Asia's the biggest continent, right? So it's the biggest thing in the right. world. Um, and they wanted to be, they were, well, they considered themselves probably the biggest biggest thing in the world in terms of prog rock at the time.
1: Right, right. So right.
2: I, I think that was the idea. I don't know if they've ever said that, but that was always my interpretation of it.
1: Yeah, and UK was um, Eddie Jobson and... Um, it was.
2: Alan Holdsworth and, and Bill Bruford and
1: Terry, and Terry Bozio? No, Bill Bruford. Originally? Yeah, I think
2: it was originally, originally. Bozio though, wasn't it? No, no, it was originally Bill Bruford. Maybe Bozio came in later. But the first okay. album, Alan Holdsworth only stuck around for the the first album. Bruford was maybe only around for the first couple of albums too. Um, I don't Yeah, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, because... Uh, Wikipedia is for. Sorry? I said that's what Wikipedia is for.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say that my one of my favorite albums by Frank Zappa, I think the first one I actually bought was Zoo de Lures, which has uh, got Terry Bozio and Eddie Jobson as well as um, I can't remember his name now, Patrick O'Hearn maybe. Hmm. But yeah, that's one of my favorite albums.
2: Okay, so let's see. Yeah,
1: the suspense is killing us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still awake. So it looks like Eddie oh, yeah. Jobson... <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Jobson came from Frank Zappa, too. <laughs> yeah, no, they both, they, they played with Frank Zappa on Zo- on the album called Zoot right? Oh, okay, so They yeah, played yeah. on anything else, and then they went right into that. I think pretty much after that, they formed uh, UK. Although Terry Bozio played with Zappa for... No, so a so
2: Bozio didn't join until Bruford and Holdsworth left, so they became a trio with uh, you know Bozio, uh, Eddie Jobson, and John Wetton. Right, right. That would have been in
1: 79, maybe. What did they say? Jobson played on what instrument? Did he play?
2: Uh, I always thought of him as a violin player, but uh, yeah, keyboard yeah,
1: slash so. violin. Right. Yeah. A, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Way more than just code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Right. Yeah, so, <laughs> <Fred. laughs>
0: so the reason I ended up pausing when you say, "Oh, I did the artwork," I was like. What it's like the last yeah. one was the barcode. I was like, "Holy smokes, Tim! You lovingly crafted yes, this scannable bar bar barcode." <laughs> bar it wasn't code. just a BS. Like, oh it looks like a barcode. <laughs> it's legit barcode.
1: Well, you know, I've often wondered. So, I wondered though if you could actually draw a barcode and have it scannable. Like if people get barcode tattoos, are they actual scan? Actually scannable, right? Because it's all mm-hmm. based on the space. But there's a certain finite number of sizes or widths, right? And then it's based on how far apart they are, right? That's how it turns it into. Yeah, it's, it's, binary, it's right?
2: kind of Morse code. It's a two yeah. D Morse code,
1: right? And there's uh, like cause it there's three or four different, or three, two or three different thicknesses, right? Do I have no? That I
2: think there's there's a there's a thickness and a space, right? But if you have if you have you can have uh, two thick next to each other, and so it's so it looks like it's double thick. In other words, you know, you have line and space. If you have two lines next to each other, it looks like a double wide line. Oh, I think I, see, right, I think right. if you did draw it, I think it would work i don 't know about on skin because you know skin has got a lot of imperfection you know, imperfections and right, right. weird colors and things like that i't don't, i don't know if that would work but but if you drew it you know with, with dark ink on white paper, it would probably work as long as you can draw a reasonably straight line
1: yeah, no, yeah. well, the reason I did it was because we talked last week about you know the fact that it was episode one twenty eight and to me that 's an auspicious number. But we didn't take advantage of it. And then when I went to Google, I always Google something when I'm looking for an inspiration about what to to do for the artwork, and and I typed in 128, and code 128 came up. And I went, oh, that's perfect. No, I just made a barcode, right? So I tried putting in more than just code podcast, but the the lines got really tight and hard to read. So I just went with the the, uh, four characters, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, if you made it a QR code, then you would have unlocked a world of possibilities
1: for that. yeah. (laughs) So I posted it to the Slack channel, and and Greg, first thing Greg says, it doesn't say drink Ovaltine, right? (laughs) So I made him a barcode that said, make sure you drink your Ovaltine.
2: (laughs) I I don't get that reference. Is there? No. What does Ovaltine have to do with barcodes?
1: It's from the Christmas story, right? Apparently, uh, um, so the character, I've forgotten his name now. He saves up. He saves up all the the box tops from Ovaltine and sends them in to get this decoder ring. And then he gets the secret yep. message. And he can that's on some TV show like like um, Howdy Doody kind of Howdy Doody time. They have the secret message. and So he gets the decoder ring and he goes and locks himself in the bathroom with his decoder ring, and he works out the secret code. It's like one of these things where it's like the you know number give you a number and number equals a letter kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's a Caesar cipher. And he decipher decipheres it and the message is be sure to drink your ovaltine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>